we realized that it was infinitely more complex and that our genes weren't our fate, that there wasn't a diabetes gene, that there wasn't a heart disease gene, that it was actually far more complex. And when that realization took place, that catapulted us really firmly into the era of epigenetics because we got that the rubber meets the road with gene expression. Mm. And it's this interface, things that turn genes on and off, that we are at the center of, that our choices drive the epigenetic car. You know, how we live our lives, what we choose to eat, how we choose to behave, whether we choose to move our bodies, et cetera, et cetera. These everyday choices influence what genes are on and what genes are off. So as far as our quality of life, our health, our health span, our lifespan, we are infinitely more in control of that journey than we've quite understood. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. So excited for today's conversation with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, who is the author of Younger You, Reduce Your Bio-Age and Live Longer Better. Fascinating book, and we're going to dive into it today. Um, Dr. Fitzgerald is the first ever recipient of the 2018 Emerging Leadership Award from the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute in recognition of her work on DNA methylation, which she's going to help us understand uh, today. And she's also a leading voice in the intersection of nutrition, epigenetics, and aging. Your work, Dr. Fitzgerald, has been featured in media outlets such as Prevention, Fast Company, MSN, Everyday Health, and many more. And you received your doctorate from National University of Natural Medicine and you're on the faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine and IFM Certified Practitioner with a clinical practice in Newtown, Connecticut. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's great to be with you today, Michelle. I look forward to our conversation. I do too. And you know, I'd love to start, I've had other functional medicine doctors on, and I always find it interesting because I think that what I've seen is that many of them went down this path because they had something that they were trying to solve for that the traditional system didn't. And I was curious, is that your path or what led you it's to so this field? It's, it's, it, you know, it's fun being on this book tour journey because I'm talking more about backstories, you know, yes. my, my history than yes. I ever have before. And yeah, I mean, I did absolutely. So when it came time for me to really figure out, you know, the conventional route of medical, I, I, I was, I was debating uh, medical school, naturopathic, Actually, I wasn't naturopathic medical school wasn't in the equation then. I was thinking about psychology. Um, I got sick. I developed chronic fatigue. And mm. so it was probably just before around the, the I made those, I was working. It, it, was, it was really concurrent. So I was sick with fatigue and I was doctor hopping and no one knew what to do with me. It wasn't until my, I moved into a new apartment and my landlady who was in her late eighties and lived well into her nineties said, you need to go see my naturopathic physician. (laughs) And she sent me off to one of the oldest licensed physicians in the state of Connecticut. We've been licensing naturopaths here since the twenties. And he, I think he, yeah, yeah. His name is Dr. Jeff class. He's a legend in our neck of the woods. And he got me better you know, it, and it wasn't rocket science. He really, he understood what was going on. He knew, knew how to diagnose it. He prescribed a uh, botanical combination product. He gave me some CoQ10 for some mitochondrial support. A few gentle dietary tweaks. I was in my 20s. I wasn't going to be, you know, doing anything too heavy. Like he had to meet me where I was at and he did. And I got better. I just wow. got better. I responded to it. I think he gave me some B vitamins as well, but it was a very simple to the point protocol that worked. And it was right at that decision time for me. And it was a no brainer that this was a medicine um, that not only was effective for me, but that I started to really develop some passion around. Wow. Okay. So you decided not to go to medical school or is functional medicine integrated with it? How does it, how does it work? So 
So I became a naturopathic physician. Many, perhaps most functional medicine doctors are MDs. So they went the traditional route and then they transitioned into functional training. So I started out as a naturopathic physician. And then after I completed my ND, uh, and and actually I did a postdoc in laboratory science as well as a residency in integrative medicine. And then concurrent to that, I went to the Institute for Functional Medicine and did my postgraduate training specifically in functional medicine and then became certified as a functional medicine uh, physician. So, yes. so I did my professional um, training and then went into functional medicine. That's what we all do. Got so that's, it. it's a it's a postgraduate training. It's a postgraduate training. There are, I think there are some programs offering it. Um, there are some residencies um, offering, you know, a rotation in functional medicine. It's it it's it's becoming it's it's slowly entering into the education, the broader education model. Yes. But for the most part, we're getting trained um, as postgrads. Yes, and I'm 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 somebody who's very optimistic. I do hope it's the future because. There's just like you said, with your chronic fatigue, there's so many things that aren't getting solved for when you go. And it's nice to know that there's people like you out there who are getting to root cause. Um, In your book, you um, have through your just your clinical practice with working with clients and then through the, the research that you did, you were able to reverse biological age by a little over three years in eight weeks, um, which is incredible. And I think a nice place to start is just understanding the the role of epigenetics. And this may be a word that people don't understand or know much about. So can we just start with a foundational yeah. understanding of what epigenetics is and how it yeah. played into the work you did in the research? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And stop me and ask any questions that you need to, to clarify because it is, it's a complex area of science. Yes. So epigenetics, if you break the word down, epi above genetics your genetic material. So above your genetic material. So this is the science of studying what regulates gene expression. So what turns genes on, what turns genes off? Epigenetics is the field that studies that. Um, the one of the chief, so there's, it's, it's complex. There's a number of different epigenetic marks. There's a, many different ways we regulate gene expression. Yes. The, one of the way, one of the best studied and arguably most important ways that we turn genes on and off is via something called DNA methylation. So, if you can imagine a double-stranded, you know, double he- DNA strand of DNA, yes. you can uh, just imagine these red lollipops. This, in the scientific literature, they denote a methyl group as a basically a red lollipop, and you'll see a bunch of red lollipops on a region of a gene. Yes. So that means that DNA methylation is inhibiting the expression of that. Those red lollipops sort of block transcription of that gene and that gene is inhibited. Conversely, if there's just a few lollipops or no lollipops, that gene's able to be turned on and transcribed. So it's one of the chief ways we regulate gene expression. You you and I were talking about the Human Genome Project, actually, when we were chatting before we hit record. Um, Back in the day, you know, when we mapped out the human genome, you know, scientists thought that that was the Rosetta Stone of chronic illness, right? We yes. really thought we would find one or two genes associated with diabetes, one or two genes associated with heart disease, with dementia, et cetera, cancer. Like we would really met, figure it out. And it was, I think, revel- revelatory that in fact, we realized that it was infinitely more complex and that our genes weren't our fate, that there wasn't a diabetes gene, that there wasn't a heart disease gene, that it was actually far more complex. And when that realization took place, that catapulted us really firmly into the era of epigenetics because we we got that the rubber meets the road with gene expression. Mm. And it's this interface, things that turn genes on and off, that we are at the center of that our choices drive the epigenetic car, you know, how we live our lives, what we choose to eat, how we choose to behave, whether we choose to move our bodies, et cetera, et cetera. These everyday choices influence what genes are on and what genes are off. So as far as our quality of life, our health, our health span, our lifespan, we are infinitely more in control of that journey than I think we've, uh, than we've quite understood. Yes. And I think many people, 
a lot of people, most people, I don't know if that's too too bold to say, actually do think it's their genes that dictate yeah. their future, right? And they're totally. not taking responsibility. It's right. heart disease runs in fat my family, you right. know, type two di- diabetes. So, you know, this is just my fate. And your mm-hmm. book, your work is to say, no, no, that's not the case. That's that right. That's right. Case. But when so when, it's exciting, it's yes. like this great promise of possibility that we yes. that we can can choose whether we have a high quality of life or not. It's exciting. Yes. But it, you know, it also comes with great responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's great, right? It's like if you're taking ownership of your life, and that's really what, you know, at the heart of the show and just like living full on and and doing what you can. Um, but I can see why, you know, people just it's just maybe like a a, you know, past to like, oh, I don't need to pay attention to that. Um, when you talked about gene expression being turned on and off, are there some that you want on and some off? Yes. So, but it's, so it's, yes. it's the prevention. This plan is really the prevention of not turning on the ones you don't want expressed. Is that right? Am I understanding it or am I oversimplifying That's it? the, no, that's, well, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, so as we age, our DNA methylation patterns get really wonky to be scientific about it. We start to turn on genes we don't want on, sort Mm. of disease-promoting genes, pro-inflammatory genes. We start to turn off protective genes. Mm. Um, And that, and I think what's extraordinary about it is age is the biggest risk factor for chronic diseases. And, 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 and it is, a far greater risk factor for lung cancer than even smoking, just to put it into context. Aging is the biggest risk factor. And when you look at gene expression, the gene expression patterns in something like cancer. So when you look at the epigenome, when you look at DNA methylation patterns in a tumor microenvironment or in a cancer cell, it looks like it echoes what aging itself looks like. Like It's it's really kind of crazy. So Yes, the goal of our study was, I mean, the fundamental question was, can we turn on a more favorable DNA methylation pattern in our participants using this diet and lifestyle intervention? And every piece of the diet and lifestyle intervention was around, we had evidence behind it as supporting favorable DNA methylation, favorable gene expression. So we brick by brick built in intervention specifically to optimize epigenetic wow. expression. Yeah, it's it, so it, exciting. It's pretty cool. It, yeah, I know. This is cutting I mean, edge. This is exciting. It's it's re- it is. I mean, it's really <laughs> cutting edge. I mean, I didn't know at the so at the time that we designed our our study. Yes, I was focused on this these the cancer epigenetics. I was actually hmm. really blown away by. Um, what was happening. A lot of science was coming down the pike and we designed this program um, with my nutrition, uh, our founding nutrition director, Romilly Hodges, and I worked on this Mm. uh, and we used it in clinic practice for years before we researched it. But I designed it with this understanding of what cancer epigenetics looked like and how a diet and lifestyle program could potentially address that. It wasn't until we were researching it a handful of years later that um i understood that the that biological age which is which is lo- which is measured by looking at these dna patterns could be potently influenced by what we had a re- by what we designed that biological aging is measured via changes in dna methylation and it's also thought that the root cause of biological aging may be housed in DNA methylation. So it was almost like an extraordinary stroke of being in the right place at the right time that we had had this helmet on around DNA. We were thinking about DNA methylation originally for cancer, but in fact, it actually was much more, the the implications of what we had designed were much more broad than simply cancer. Yes, It, it, It goes to the heart of aging itself. And so the first um, the first, uh, study that we, so in, in our research, the first finding that we turned to, uh, was biological age. So did we change it? I mean, and we have other findings, you know, there were other findings in the study that are pretty cool too. Yes. Um, 
But it was extraordinary for us to look at DNA methylation at baseline and then after the eight weeks and see that we had reversed it by over three years in our participants as compared to our controls. And it, yeah, it's, it is, it's huge. It's really extraordinary. And it got a ton of attention because it was, it's still the only study of its kind to show this, but it was certainly, you know, when we published it in 2021, the, you know, it was the first, first study of its kind for sure. And there've only been very few studies thus far that have shown bio, bio age reduction or reversal. Um, Oh, and the the first one came out in 2019. This is an ext- this is a very new area of research, and and it's just, I mean, I'm just absolutely thrilled and grateful to be a part of this conversation. You yeah. know, to be able to participate in this investigation of you know improving biological age. Yeah, it's super exciting, and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing and continue to do. And it's interesting because really, what I took away from the book, I mean, we're talking about longevity but in a way where you're enjoying your life, because there's a statistic that you share um, where you said in, um, that most adults in the U.S. and elsewhere will spend the final 16 years of their lives suffering from multiple illnesses and on multiple medications. That's yeah. not the goal, right? I mean, right. what you're talking about is, is living health long. Span. and Yes, health and span. Health yes. Yep. And I think that is the goal and that it's attainable. Um, yes. Based on what you're talking about. Yes. We can make a lot of action towards improving that. I mean, none of us, I don't think we really get that in this country, most of us, by the time we're in our early 60s, will have two significant illnesses. And it's yeah. downhill from there. We'll be on multiple medications. I mean, I think about it as a single mom with a with a youngster at home. I started, became a mom late in life. You know, I do. I, I don't want her to have to take care of me at home or in a skilled nursing care facility, or you know, all of the um, her inheritance, her college fund going to you know keeping me alive, propped up in a pillow. I mean, I just sort of enter into these macabre thoughts and think about that's how the majority of us are uh, interacting with you know the elders in our population. I mean, and this is what our elders are going through. So we've extended lifespan. And that is a feat. We've extended it as as compared to 100 or 200 years ago. But but we do it via a lot of drugs and a lot of interventions. We have to absolutely 100% change that model. I mean, honestly, even one year health span improvement, like even one year bioage reversal would save trillions of dollars in this country. So they those numbers have been crunched. Scientists are looking at bioage reversal, bioage slowdown and 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 looking at the economics of it and the cost savings are just astronomical. It's one of the it's it's probably the most important area of research that we can be doing now because as I said, yes. biological age is the biggest risk factor for all the chronological chron- the chronic illnesses, excuse me. Yes. So if we can slow down bioage, we can, by extension, slow down the development of these chronic illnesses. So it, it just seems to me all hands should be on deck focused on this area of investigation. Absolutely. And when I read that in your book, the savings that it would create, I was like, why isn't more going towards us? Yeah. Like, it's just well, unbelievable. Yeah. We don't recognize aging as a yeah. disease in this country, like mm-hmm. it, within our structure, you know, within our, you know, within the NIH, within this, the, 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 the government uh, run organizations, we just don't get it. I mean, the World Health Organization, I think recently recognized it as a disease. So, th- so there's not a lot of money going towards gerontology, going towards bioage research. We, I don't, we haven't understood this, this piece. And so we silo all of our science and we invest really, I mean, in this administration, we're investing a lot more dollars towards researching cancer and cardiovascular disease. But I think we, you know, if we recognized aging for what it is, recognized biological age reversal and the potential benefits across all spectrum, um, you know, we would be investing some money there. And I think that that will happen. And I will say, interestingly, Jeff yes. Bezos gets it huh. and he just, he gets it. He, he gets it. Cause he's in his like mid fifties. I think, I think he's like maybe a couple of <laughs> years older than me. Yeah. Yeah. And he is all over investing billions of dollars into age, uh, into biogerontology, into aging research. He started a laboratory recently called Altos. Huh. I think 
I think it's in San Diego. I think it's in your neck of the woods. Huh. And then there's, and there's an Altos lab in Asia and there's an Altos lab, I think just outside of, uh, in Cambridge where university of Cambridge in the UK. Um, and he's recruited the best scientists in the world. In fact, the developer of the BioH clock, Steve Horvath from UCLA is at Altos. This is a multi-billion dollar extraordinary lab that's going to be stu- studying aging. Wow, this is so exciting. Yeah. I had no Isn't idea. That wild? It's it's very exciting. Um, help me and the audience understand, because you talk in the book about chronological age versus mm-hmm. biological age. I think that distinction is yes. important in terms of the conversation that we're having. Can you just unpack yes. that? Yeah, absolutely. So the chron- our chronological age is the number of years we've been alive, the number of birthdays we've celebrated, the number of trips around the sun. We can't do anything about that. Try yes. as we might. I yes. love to talk about my sister who's 29 again for many years, <laughs> but she's not. Biological age is how fast we're actually aging, The phys- our physiological age. Yes. And we can see, I mean, you just, you told me you were 51, I think. Yeah. In, and I'm 50, I'm 54. Yeah. Um, we can see people around us who look our age, maybe who look a little younger, who are our age, yes. either look it, look yes. younger or look a lot older. I yes. mean, you can visually see folks who appear to be biologically aging yes. a lot faster. Um, and that's what we can measure now. I think, the, you know, the, the bio, the first biological age clock looking at DNA methylation was only published in 2013. So it's a new science, but having these tools, being able to measure the physiological aging journey, I think is going to really help compel this science uh, forward. How long have you been on your plan? Because I have to say, when I saw your headshot, I thought you were 35. (laughs) That's truth. That's truth. And then when you came on the camera, I'm like, it says she adopted her child at 50, but I thought she was in her thirties. I'm really confused. And you look, Aww. you look, you like you're in your thirties for sh- truthfully. I mean, you, you look Thank so you. young and radiant. So <laughs> I'm just wondering like how long, I mean, you'd be, you are the, you, you were the poster child for, you know, your book. Like, it's like, look at you. And then, yeah. Yeah. And not intentionally. It's, it's interesting. I don't, I am getting older. I mean, I'm, I'll be 55 and you know, in two weeks, less than two weeks. Yes. So, I mean, I'm getting oh. older. I can yeah. see, I can see my body changing. I don't want to feel too much pressure around it, but I do appreciate, of course I appreciate hearing that. Yes. Um, at my, I've been doing our program. I've been doing our program to varying degrees of compliance since we developed it. And most recently, as we were writing the book, um, you know, in doing our study, I've been very dialed into it. So I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I'm not, I will admit that I'm not uh, fully in the intensive. So there's the eight week intensive that we did in our study. And I think we should all be doing that. Um, But I do layer in a little bit, like I'd be lying if I didn't say that I like a little bit of cream in my coffee. There are some things that I do, but foundationally I follow, um, you know, what it is that we used in our study and what we prescribe to most of our patients here. I have nutrients that I take and I cover those in the book. Like I'm a huge fan of taking a little extra curcumin. I'm just actually looking at my nutrient stash here. There's a a Himalayan tartary buckwheat. We've got a couple of recipes in the book. um, And I talk about the supplement, Himalayan tartary buckwheat supplement. I use that. Um, and so just, there's a handful of things that I talk about, so, but, but yeah, I do adhere to our plan as, you know, as I think I, I say in the book, as if yes. my life depended on it, cause I yes. want to be, I want to be here. I want to be strong. I want to be available for my, for my kiddo. Yeah. I, I hear that. I mean, I had my daughter at 38 and I, you know, it, it takes, a, I, I think sometimes about if I had had her in my twenties versus, you know, when you're older and yeah. there's certain things you start feeling in your body at a certain age and you think, I better pay attention because I don't, I don't want to be one of the the statistics, you know, down the road. Um, I don't either. Yeah. Right. That's right. hundred percent. Well, let me ask you, um, there's so much that we can unpack here. There was a part of the, what I read that I found really interesting and I've always wondered about it. You talked about your ancestors coming from Poland. How much does our ancestral traumas, you know, that they experienced translate to how our genes are expressed today. Can you talk about this little, cause I've always found this piece of epigenetics really interesting. It's so 
interesting. It's ridiculously interesting. Yeah. So there's a heritability component. So the, the promise of epigenetics is that we can change gene expression. So we can change epigenetic expression just, you know, by our everyday choices and, and support our bodies and turning on the genes we want on and, yes. you know, ideally inhibiting the genes that we don't. And that yes. is in fact, what we showed in our study, just to, I know I'm digressing a little, yeah. we showed that our participants rearranged gene, their DNA methylation patterns, rearranged their gene expression towards a younger or more youthful profile. So we actually did show that. Um, but yes, we can inherit patterns from our, you know, not just our immediate um, fam, you know, our immediate past generation, but yes. probably m- many generations prior. Certainly in animal studies, we see heritability patterns going um, through many generations, like the agouti mouse study that I talk about in the book. So this was this put nutritional epigenetics top, top of mind in science. And, and interestingly, it was published right around the same time the um, human genome was uh, was uncovered. So I, it came out in 2003. And this study, they used agouti mice. These mice are obese and blonde. They're so, you can just spot an agouti mouse a mile away. They're very visually um, uh, prominent. Like you, you just can't miss it. Um, Randy Jertle uh, in his lab gave the ma- the, the pregnant dams uh, B12. They gave them methyl donors, betaine, B12, uh, folate. And the offspring for five generations turned off the agouti gene. So they hypermethylated wow. a lot of those red lollipops on the agouti gene. And they presented visually what we call the phenotype was the a, brown wild type mouse. Isn't that amazing? It's fascinating. So I found that fascinating. And pregnancy changed genetic wow. expression and not just for that generation, but many generations out. It's extraordinary. And so we can look in um, human studies and we can see that uh, there are a handful of like stressful events there. I talk about the, the project ice storm. And so this was a week long, severe ice storm in Quebec, like no power, you know, people were cold and isolated women who were pregnant during Project Ice Storm gave birth to kids who had higher rates of autism, higher rates of asthma. So there was, and, and, and it was based on their experience of psychological stress and physical stress, like, or so both or either, or so the psychological stress was impactful as the physical stress. Um, and there are, and there are also studies out there that I mentioned in the book, looking at excess food intake and insufficient food intake and the outcome on subsequent generations uh, on health. And, you know, we see excess food intake in certain populations can lead to increased risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, et cetera, in subsequent generations. And this is due to epigenetics and and also insufficient food. So starvation can have an epigenetic imprint that can last. Let me say one other thing on this. Yeah. So we psychic stress or total life stress, post-traumatic stress, all of that can influence gene expression. Um, But the other thing, a cool thing is that exercise, this was a study I read not too long ago. It did make it into the book, which is barely because it's a pretty new study. Exercise patterns or exercise habits can influence gene expression and be inherited as well. So if you've got a decent (laughs) exercise background, you might be able to hand down, you know, your rock hard abs to your offspring. I mean, I'm kidding, but I think that's really kind of cool that we can hand some of that down. So yeah, it is a phenomena, but it's not as locked in as DNA. We think that it's still malleable. And this is important because let's say you experienced a early life stress or mom was stressed, you know, when she was carrying you, or I think about the depression you know, and I look at my family and my grandparents, how they were total hoarders, you know, and they did some things that really seemed to come from depression era habits. And, and I think some of that has carried down into my family. Like we can choose differently. And I think if we are people who grew up with stress exposure, what can happen epigenetically is that we get stressed out more readily you know, our stress threshold is lower, but there are many tools that can influence that. Meditation can change 
um, our epigenetics towards uh, longevity, actually. There's some really cool science on, on epigenetics and, and, and meditation and Tai Chi and yoga. Uh, exercise can help us. So, so while we can inherit some of these patterns, we can also make choices to offset their influence. Yeah. I just, I just find it all so fascinating. And um, I appreciate you explaining that. And just the studies are fast. I think they're fascinating. Um, back in the day, I remember like once hearing on Dr. Oz or something like, oh, you need to measure your telomeres. How, how are we measuring our biological age? Like, what are the, what are you looking at to determine somebody's biological age? You're measuring DNA methylation patterns. It yeah. is. Okay. And we do it in blood. We can do it all. We can do it in saliva. Uh, those are the two main specimen. Uh, in our study, we use saliva. I have since, we have an app. We're continuing to study actually in the app. Mm. We have some early data on women, which is awesome. Yes. Um, because this study but was men, right? The study was men. It was a pilot study of in men. I got yes. massive pushback. Yes, yes, exactly. Because of hormones. But I want to say that we've got a, a new cohort of seven women. So it's small. It'll it'll grow over time. And these women, middle age, you know, same age range, did actually a little bit better. <laughs> than oh, the, great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They did great. Um but yeah, so we're using right now, we're using the blood as a specimen and we're looking at those red lollipops. Okay. But is it like- Telomeres so- is different. So telomeres, yes. once upon a time, telomeres, telomeres do shorten with age, um, but they are, I don't know that they're as fundamental to the aging process as we once thought. Yeah. Um, they are- they 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 correlate with age um, much less rigorously than DNA methylation biological age clocks. So DNA methylation bioage clocks have um, really supplanted telomeres. Although we haven't shut the door on them. In fact, you can measure DNA methylation. Um, patterns that will give you an idea of telomere length. So we can look at DNA methylation associated with telomeres. And this DNA methylation pattern associated with telomeres is more reliable than the direct measurement of telomeres. <laughs> I know okay. it's kind of confusing. Well, you can't go to your doctor and ask for it anyway. They won't give you a te- telomere blood test. You can't like, get a telomere. No, and they're you not going to do that. Methylation <clears throat> yeah, and you can't right. either. But what are you, because you mentioned homocysteine. Like, is there something, if somebody was curious <laughs> and yes. wanted to know, I know you list some blood work that you recommend. Yep. Um, yep, is there's that, a table in there. Mm-hmm. Is that those? Is that what you, somebody would be looking at, or I would start. So yeah, the, so so the I, there's a there's a table of labs that I recommend that are basic and that any physician should be able to order, or you know, nurse practitioner uh, should be able to order. And a lot of those are just going to be obtained on your annual physical exam. So people should be able to look at them, look at the optimal ranges that I've listed, and see. Yes whether it appears like they're aging, you know, well, or they might be aging a little bit faster. So you can use those standard blood biomarkers in the book. We also have, as I'm sure you noticed a biological age, subjective assessment or self-assessment. And you can take that as well. Yeah. In the very back in the resource section, I talk about where one can obtain a DNA methylation bioage clock okay. if they want to. It's just, it's always so, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like totally data. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. liked, I like well, data. We will we will know our bioage at some point. This will become standard of care. So we'll know our what our lipids are. You know, we might know our blood sugar, and we will know our bioage. And wow. we will be putting attention towards what our bioage is. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that this yeah. will be standard uh, standard practice. Absolutely. Well, talk to us about DNA methylation. Now we've talked about it a lot. So just like, what, what does that specifically mean and how is this impacting our biological age? So DNA, so again, DNA methylation influences what genes are on and what genes are off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and in scientific literature, a methyl, so a methyl group is just a carbon and three hydrogens. There's a methylation cycle in our body where we're making these carbons and three hydrogen um, compounds, like all of the time, like in every cell in the body, almost we're just busting out tons of these methyl groups. They actually have widespread influence. They regulate all sorts of stuff in our body. They help us detox molecules. They help us make hormones. They help us metabolize hormones. I mean, just really important fundamental um, physiological processes in the body. We, we, uh, engage in by putting methyl groups on and putting taking methyl groups off. Yes. At 
our genes, at the level of genes, we put methyl groups on to shut a gene off and we pluck them off or inhibit them when we want that gene to be on. So methyl groups on a gene turns it off. Methyl groups off of a gene will enable it to be on. Um, The methylation cycle requires a lot of nutrients. It requires B12. So you you know, when you think about taking B12, a big reason is because of this methylation cycle. B12, folate, uh, betaine found in beets, even DHA, the fatty acid can help regulate the methylation cycle. Magnesium, zinc, potassium, B6, um, uh, NAD, which is uh, a, a compound from niacin. So there, so a lot of the nutrients that we're ingesting that we know are good for us, but we're not yes. sure why, play yes. a role in the methylation, methylation. cycle that enables us to put the methyl groups on DNA. But there's another really important... So anyway, let me just say that the diet we designed is packed in these nutrients, just packed. Yes. And then there are phytochemicals, um, EGCG and green tea, um, quercetin found in onions and others, resveratrol in in grapes and and other nutrients, um, luteolin in tomatoes or sulforaphane or dim in cruciferous. So there's these phytochemicals that seem to direct where those methyl groups go, Mm. um, perhaps helping them be placed on genes we want off. Mm. So does that all make sense? And so our diet is, is, is also packed with those nutrients. Totally. Now, if anyone, I've been to functional medicine doctors and stuff, I'm just curious, are some people not able to methylate? And and I've heard, and I have no idea what the MTHFR, and I think you talked about one client who came in was like, oh, I have this gene. Um, is that an indication that you have a methylation issue or is there a way to know that you have a methylation issue? So you, well, let me just say this. Yeah. It's such a fundamental player. I don't know that I would say, I mean, we wouldn't be alive if we had a, you know, a hardcore methylation issue. Yeah. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be born, but, um, like in terms of absorption of certain vitamins, let's say like B12, for example. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll say a couple of things. As we age, we methylate yes. less efficiently. Okay. So, so there's something called global methylation. And this again is related to DNA, but global methylation as we age is the volume is turned down. We're less efficient. Why is that? Is that because we're not absorbing, as you said? Is that because right. you know we're our, our cells are slowing down and less efficient? Is the methylation cycle more sluggish? Are we, you know, are we using some of the nutrients for other reasons? I mean, as we but as we age, we know that we methylate less efficiently. Very importantly, is yeah. that not only do we methylate less efficiently, we actually start to become imbalanced. So we will turn, we will hypermethylate yes. genes that we want on. So we'll shut down important genes that we want on as we age. Mm-hmm. So going back to cancer again, that's what we see. We turn down gene, we turn off genes that protect us from cancer right. as we age. So we shut them down, and then we turn on genes you know that are damaging and pro-inflammatory to us. So on one hand, net methylation drops, but in fact, what actually happens when you zero in a little bit more closely, you see that it becomes really wonky and imbalanced. Hmm. So we need more than to just turn up methylation. We have to be more precise and careful than that. We need to sort of direct how methylation is happening. Okay. I mean, I find it interesting because, you know, some of the, so you list 10 key foods that for methylation. Our methylation. Yeah. Well, they're, 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 they're epinutrients. So they're nutrients for the epigenome. They're not just methyl donors. So they're not okay. just pushing methylation forward. Yes. They're supporting methylation and balancing it. It's for the epigenome to balance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So for example, like the reason I was even asking this and, and, and I don't want to make it about me, but I know other people probably have this No. for whatever make reason. It about you. Okay. Well, it might be useful because I find, okay. So top 10 foods, like you talk about pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, spinach, I get cold sores. So that's like an immune reaction, right? To get like the cold sores on your, on your lips. With all of those? Yes. Green tea. I avoid Mm -hmm. those things because I know I might be able to get away with one cup of green tea. Actually, those make like almost like hives on my, I don't know what it is, but I just wonder, you know, is there a methylation issue or is there some other issue? Why are you reacting? Yeah. Um, Isn't that funny? Like I, cause sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I always think I'll, the only foods I don't eat are the ones I'm either truly allergic to oral allergy versus like, you know, I'm not going to need 
you know, to I'm not going to like throat isn't going to close up, but I know certain foods I have to stay away from eating coffee, like certain things that will trigger a cold sore, even though I know they're good for me or I like them. Not so it might coffee. be a little bit of an allergic phenomena that just has a different presentation. I, I, you know, here's what I would say. I, I would not extrapolate from that, that you have a methylation issue at okay. all. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. In, and if you go to, I think it's page 407, it's towards yes. the end of the book, <laughs> you'll see this extraordinary nutrient appendix. Yeah. There are many epinutrients that you can eat. I have no that doubt. Right. So if that you- on that aren't that group, yes. But I'm allergic to, for example, like, look, there's plum, pears, I'm allergic, apples, allergic. Um, onions will give me hazelnuts, allergic, pecans, allergic. It's just interesting. I don't know. There's- I would not, it's, it, that does not, the, the- Protein involved in generating an allergic response to yes, hazelnuts or peanuts has nothing to do with methylation. Okay, that's good to know. Um, and there, you'll find plenty of things in there that you can eat. Yes. And um, if you have questions, I mean, it would be worth exploring all of the allergies and the underlying issues. I mean, you're interested in functional medicine, so I'm assuming you've worked with providers and they're working on underlying causes of the allergies and working yeah. on balancing them. Yeah. You could also work with somebody who's versed in this program uh, to design your own individualized program. So given your allergic history and some of your sensitivities, it, yes. it might be worth it, you know, because you're not going to be able to, to adopt this as a turnkey program. You're going to have to have some individualization. We started using this program here. This is my clinic. Um, years before we researched it, we have challenging functional medicine cases here. You know, we're sort of a referral center, if you will, from other functional medicine providers. So yes. our patients absolutely use the principles in the younger you, but almost all of them require some individualization. Hey, and I talk about that in the beginning of the book. Yeah. This is not a one size fits all. This is absolutely individualized. Well, yeah. I think well, bioindividuality, just, no, right? One Yeah. It puts I think I think that there are some authors out there who tend to say it's my way or the highway, but if you actually uh, see patients, if you see real people, yes, you know, you have to individualize. <laughs> yes. I think so, that makes total sense to me. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about stress. So you write stress is inevitable, but managed poorly. Stress will drive aging forward, like gasoline poured on fire and cortisol specifically um, impacts methylation, right? Cortisol influences um, the. There are a twenty five percent of the genes yes. on the biological age clock that we used yes. are influenced by glucocorticoids. Of course, the number one glucocorticoid is cortisol. Okay. So I wouldn't exactly say that cortisol influences methylation. Cortisol um, or stress stress can influence the specific genes on the bio age clock. Okay. So my interpretation of that is that, I mean, that's bigger than any other factor. Get it under 25%. Control. Yeah. My, yeah. So my interpretation of that is that stress can drive aging forward uh, mm. potently, like gasoline on a fire, very potently. And beyond just the, the clock itself, yes. when you look in the literature on chronic stress, we talked about, you know, some of the heritability components of it, it's very pro-aging and it turns the volume up on all of the chronic diseases of aging. Um, but I want to say two things. Some stress obviously yes. is helpful. Yes. <laughs> it can yes. be very motivating. Yes. Uh, and like the stress of exercise, the stress of a reasonable amount of exercise is actually yes. turns our body on physically in a way that's very beneficial. So a little bit of stress is good, but the toxic stress that we tend to steep in in this country is pro-aging. Yeah. Um, and then COVID came. Totally. Massive, massive yeah. stress. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As I said before, we can counter the influence of stress at the level of the epigenome. So the research on Meditation. Meditation is an anti-aging practice. Amazing. And what's cool is that we don't have to retire to the mountain, to the Zen monastery for right. the rest of our lives. Right. Research shows that just one meditation in an inexperienced meditator can have beneficial changes. Wow. But if you want the lasting longevity changes, you need to make it into a habit. Consistent. Tai Chi, similar. Yeah. Yoga, similar. You know, so 
we've got tools to counteract, you know, right away right. this influence of stress. We just have to take it seriously. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people come to my practice and say, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. Bah, 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 bah. Like we all talk about how stressed <laughs> out we are. Like it's just the total, it's like the water cool conversation right. of right. the century. That's right. But it's like, we're, we're, we're lip servicing it. And, and this, the research really suggests that we need to take it seriously. It yeah. is a big driver. Okay. Well, I want people to hear that too, because in addition to the food and the nutrition and all of that, um, sleep and, and um, managing stress, we're clearly they're within our control, just like what yes. we're choosing to consume or even adding in. You talked about one client who just added in a couple of the things, wasn't ready to do the whole thing. And saw just by stopping eating at 7 p.m. and starting at 7 a.m. Um, made a huge difference. She did one other yeah. um, management thing. I, I'm forgetting now, but I and was there was like, a little bit of movement. Yeah, oh, yeah, and a little bit yeah. of movement. And I was yeah. like, oh, so it shows that you know taking some control where you can is important. Um, can you talk about supplements? There was one part in the book that I was like, oh, that kind of scares me. Um, where oh, there was right, this right. study, I think it was on like page 58, where you were just talking about how supplementing with methyl donors can be risky and effective if um, it's better to get it from food, ideally, if you can. So what's the thinking of supplements? Because I think we're all, a lot of us are just taking- Gobbling down back. lots of supplements. Yeah, we're yeah. just taking everything. For sure. And you yeah. Just, oh, yeah, we'll pee it out. We'll pee out excess. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So um, there's some suggestion in the literature that, you know, so going back to the cancer conversation, remember aging inhibits- cancer protection genes, genes that we want on. Yes. Cancer itself inhibits these protective genes as well. Um, and it does it by methylation. So they hypermethylate and inhibit these genes from being turned on and protecting us from cancer. Yes. There's some suggestion in the literature that if we're giving our bodies a lot of methyl donors, like if we're taking a lot of folate, a lot of B12, we might similarly in vulnerable windows be increasing our risk for cancer. And there's some evidence for that. Likely those of us who are most vulnerable are older, sort of our, our DNA methylation, our gene expression becomes wonkier and wonkier as we age. And so yes. probably we're increasing our vulnerability as we age. My conclusion is we should do a food forward approach. I still supplement. I still yeah. pre prescribe yeah. supplements yes. and I myself use B vitamins sometimes. So I we shouldn't throw them out by a long shot, yeah. but let's just be a little bit more mindful. You brought up, you know, in this age of being able to measure gene mutations, we're all looking at one of the most classic ones, and that's the MTHFR. Yes. Uh, and that's a gene that um, is in the methylation cycle. And it's yes. very common to have this gene be slower. Um, many, 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 many of us do. That doesn't mean that your methylation is imbalanced. There's, it's, the body is kind of redundant. There's a lot of um, hmm. protection sort of built in. So you can't conclude from having a variant that you're a poor methylator and therefore you need to take B vitamins. But, but that happens a lot. And I did write about that. I wrote a case about, about a case, you know, a woman who came into my practice just sort of desperate. Because um, she had the that, gene for the MT. Yeah. Yes. And that that was her fundamental issue. Um but it really wasn't. It wasn't. it wasn't. And there's this anxiety and this overwhelm and this, you know, and this this urgency around taking lots and lots of supplements to repair these, um, the activity of these genes. And I would argue that that's absolutely inappropriate. Sometimes these vitamins are essential and they are, you know, life changing. Like a when somebody has a peripheral neuropathy or you know other conditions that can be so problematic, we can treat those potently using B vitamins in, you know, the appropriate setting. So my take home is food forward. We can get a lot of those nutrients from our diet yes. and then, you know, be mindful if we're layering in a B vitamin, maybe be a little bit more careful on, on, right. on the dose and the duration. You've been so generous if, with your time today. If somebody is listening today, we've unpacked so many different things, any take home, like any sort of like final words you want to leave women listening with today about the work yeah. that we're doing in the world. Yeah. So we, 
we got this. We can do this. This is a broadly adaptable program. In fact, that was one of the reviewers, that was one of the reviewers' comments when they published, you know, when I was accepted into the scientific literature that this not only that this was doable and that it yes. was essential. We need to be thinking about our biological age and we can do it. Um, we can take baby steps, as you pointed out. Like we can enter into this conversation wherever we're at. And in whatever way we're ready to. And so I want to just invite you to take those first steps. And it's not just middle age. We are uh, regulating gene expression at all life stages. And you'll see that I cover that in the book. So if you're, if you're uh, preconception, if you want to have kids, you know, okay, now's the time. If you have kids already, think about feeding them some of these nutrients. If you are into middle age or heading towards middle age, same thing. Like you just want to be starting to think about gene expression and what you can do to optimize it wherever you are in your life journey and you can do it. Yes. Thank you so much. I I feel inspired after having read your book and having this really empowering conversation. Um, Favorite place to send people your website or where, where should we direct people to go? So I think go to youngeryouprogram.com at younger you program. You will find the book. You'll find a link to the app. You'll find the biological age self-assessment. Yes. Uh, And then you can get over to my clinic, my clinic, the drcarafitzgerald.com is a clearinghouse of my podcast and blog and the clinic resources, et cetera. Like there's a lot of stuff there, but for this conversation, youngeryouprogram.com. Perfect. And people can work with people in your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. The nutritionists we used in our study are part of my clinic here and part of the app. So yes, you can access just really extraordinary humans here. And where can we get the app? Will it be on the Younger You website or can you- It's on the Younger You website. You can download it at iTunes like or at the App Store, excuse me, um, 3YY, three years younger. That's what it's called. Three Y Y. Okay. I mean, I'll list all of that on the show notes page at thegoodlifecoach.com. And um, thank you so much for your time today. You've been fantastic. Such a pleasure connecting. Really great connecting with you. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.